This is The Resident Review, a plastic surgery podcast. This is a platform designed for education of plastics, hand, and craniofacial surgery trainees from medical student to master surgeon. Our episodes take you through high yield topics along with experts in the field in order to maximize your knowledge and refine your techniques. If you like what you hear today, be sure to visit our website at theresidentreview.com for episodes, outlines, resources, and more. Stay tuned after the episode for a brief message from our sponsors. welcome back to The Resident Review. It's Tori and Rosie, and today we're going to be talking about Quick Hits Eyelid Reconstruction. Yay. I feel like we say that after every intro. Yay. (laughs) This one sounded particularly weak, though. (laughs) (laughs) I promise that. I'm really excited to talk about this. It's going to be great. And uh, definitely a common topic on the in-service. So we'll start with some anatomy a lot of anatomy, um, and then talk about some specific exam findings and ter- terminology that you might hear, and then move on to reconstruction. And and that's it, shorter than our previous ones. So we're on a roll. Hopefully. All right, um, I can start with some anatomy. So starting with the soft tissue components of the eye, the layers of the upper eyelid from outside to inside, um, include the skin, the orbicularis muscle, including the pretarsal, preceptal, and orbital portions, the orbital septum, the upper lid, fat compartments, the levator muscle, Mueller's muscle, and the conductiva. Whitnall's ligament surrounds the levator as it becomes the aponeurosis. The layers of the lower eyelid include the skin, the orbicularis, including the pretarsal, preceptal, and orbital components, the tarsus, lower lid retractors, the capsulopalpebral muscle, the inferior tarsal and the inferior tarsal muscle. Lockwood ligament surrounds the retractors as they become the aponeurosis. The lamellae, which you'll hear us talk about a good amount, the anterior lamella includes the skin and orbicularis. The posterior lamella includes the tarsus and the conductiva, and the middle lamella is actually the septum. This holds the eyelid position in place. And inferiorly, it emphasizes the orbital malar depression, so you can release that and transpose the fat in a buffer capacity, FYI. The tarsal plate is approximately 12 to 15 millimeters in the upper lid. It is the site of attachment for Mueller's muscle and the levator. And then the lower lid is about four to 10 millimeters in height and the inferior margin is continuous with the capsulopapular fascia. The tear trough ligament is the osteocutaneous ligament between the palpebral and orbital portions of the orbicularis. Like I said, it is important to release and redrape. We talked a little bit about Whitnall's ligament and Lockwood's ligament. Whitnall's ligament is the top, Lockwood's ligament is below. And these are the fascial thickenings that support the globe infused with the capsulopalpebral fascia, which insert into the tarsus. The muscles that are involved, so the levator attaches to the tarsal plate. Normal excursion for the levator is 12 to 16 millimeters. It's innervated by cranial nerve three, the oculomotor nerve. And the levator is, a, is important for senaltosis. The levator becomes, de, becomes detached or attenuated from its insertion into the tarsal plate. This can also be interrupted by retraction during cataract surgery. So another important thing to notice somebody has post-surgical ptosis. Mueller's muscle, this muscle is important in eyelid elevation and loss of this results in about two to three millimeters of ptosis. It's innervated by the sympathetic nervous system. The intercanthal orbicularis or pretarsal orbicularis is innervated by the buccal branch of V3. And this 
is important for blinking, lower lid tone, and pumping the lacrimal gland. That is the buccal branch of V3 with the intercanthal orbiculars or pretarsal. This is opposed to the extracanthal orbiculars or orbital fibers, which are innervated by the zygomatic branch of V3. And this is this controls eyelid closure, squinting, and animation. That is the extracanthal orbiculars. Moving on to fat compartments. In the upper eye, we consider this the roof. So retroorbiculars oculus fat. It has two compartments, the medial, which is uh, nasal and paler yellow, and the central, which is a darker yellow. These are separated by the superior oblique tendon. The lacrimal gland takes up the space of what would be the lateral fat pad. The lower fat compartments are the souf or suborbiculars oculus fat. That is three compartments, the medial, central, and lateral. Medial and central are separated by the inferior oblique tendon, and the inferior oblique tendon is the most common injury during a blepharoplasty. Sensory innervation um, is provided by the lacrimal nerve in the superior lateral upper eyelid, the infratrochlear nerve in the medial upper and lower eyelids, and then the infraorbital nerve in the lower eyelid. All right. I'm going to you know, give Rosie a brief <laughs> talking through the in intimate details of the eyelid anatomy. <laughs> so the trilayer tear components first includes mucin from goblet cells that allows for dispersion of the tears, water and protein from the lacrimal gland, which are antimicrobial, and lipid and oil layers from the meibomian glands, mm -hmm. which prevents evaporation of the tears. We're going to take you through some normal eye measurements. First is the malar vector, and this is the position of the cheek relative to the globe. You can measure the eye prominence with a Hertel exophthalmometer. A negative vector is when the eye sticks out farther than the cheek, than, than the cheek or greater than 18 millimeters of exophthalmos. These patients are at higher risk for atropion, lagophthalmos, scleral show, and dry eyes. You can consider a lower lid elevating procedure. So you would release the capsulopalpebral fascia, um, or you can place a spacer. Canthal tilt, this is the position of the lateral canthus relative to the medial canthus. An ideal angle is qualified as point plus five to eight degrees, meaning that the lateral is higher than the medial. And then an ideal is a positive canthal tilt. Specific exam findings or defects. A coloboma is a congenital defect of the eyelid, iris, retina, choroid, optic disc. So basically the eye. Um, and can range from a small notch to an ocular cleft, which we talk about in our cleft series. And it's a localized growth disturbance versus an optic fissure. It's related to a Tessier 6 or Treacher-Collins syndrome. Horner syndrome is ptosis, meiosis, and anhydrosis. Throwback to med school. The von Gra <laughs> Grave sign is lag ophthalmos in down gaze, secondary to Graves disease. Von Grave, Graves. That's how I'm going to remember it. Bell phenomenon is the fact that the eye looks up and out during sleep. After a blepharoplasty due to transient lag ophthalmos, you can get corneal ulceration if this reflex to look up and out during sleep is not present. Epiblepharon is when vertical eyelashes cause corneal irritation. Uriblepharon is a shortage of eyelid tissue. Cryptophthalmos is a failure in embryonic development of the lid fold. And then a herring test is you elevate a totic eyelid and observe whether the other eyelid becomes totic. You can also use phenylephrine for this. If you artificially elevate one side and the other side becomes totic, you know you that you need both repaired. And we are going to talk more about ptosis in another lecture. So from here on out, we're going to carry on and talk about 
soft tissue reconstruction of the eyelid. So talking about soft tissue reconstruction, we'll talk, we'll divide it into the upper eyelid and the lower eyelid. And then we also need to think about what layers need to be reconstructed and whether that's the anterior lamella, um, which would be like the, the skin and outside part or the posterior lamella, which is the conjunctiva. So um, in the upper eyelid, if you have a defect that's less than one third of the eyelid, you can actually do a primary closure, especially with older patients and significant skin laxity. If there's tension, you can perform a lateral canthotomy. If there's an upper eyelid defect of one third to one half of the eyelid, you can use a Tenzel semicircular flap. This is a rotational myocutaneous flap and only provides the anterior lamella. You can also use a Mastarde flap, which is partially a lower lid sharing flap. And this reconstructs both the anterior and posterior lamella for defects between 30 and 60% of the central lid. It does contain lashes, but you also may need another flap to close the donor site. This is based, the mustard flap is based on the medial popliteal artery. You can also use a sliding tarsoconjunctival flap. This provides medial and posterior lamella only. It is a one-stage composite flap and requires anterior lamellar coverage. If you're looking at an upper eyelid defect that is over half of the eyelid, you can use a cutler beard flap, which is a lid switch from the lower lid. This is a two-stage procedure that uh, provides both the anterior and posterior lamella. There's no lash restoration and you will need a tarsal plate replacement. You can also use a temporal forehead flap or a frick flap. This provides anterior lamella coverage only, so you still need posterior coverage. And is only used when there is, un, is the, when there is inadequate tissue available because you do risk injury to the facial nerve or the temporal branch. A paramedian forehead flap can be used for extensive defects, but is only the anterior lamella, and so you'll still need a posterior lamella coverage in the form of cartilage or mucosal grafts. Moving on to the lower eyelid. If your lower eyelid defect is less than 25%, you can try primary closure. And remember in elderly patients, they may be able to undergo that if it's like up to 40% of their lid. If your lower eyelid defect is between 25 and 50%, you can use a Tenzel flap. It's good for partial thickness defects, but will still require posterior lamella coverage. If it's an over 50% lower eyelid defect, you may need to use a Hughes flap. This provides posterior lamella only, and it is a two-stage procedure that can be combined with a full thickness skin wrap or a trippier flap for the anterior lamella. And the trippier flap is a bipedicle flap from the upper lid for the entire length of lower lid defects. It is an anterior lamella only, and it will still need a posterior lamella. You can also use a mustard flap for the lower eyelid. And this is for deep vertical defects of the entire lower lid, although it will still require posterior lamella coverage. Um, and then moving on to a vertical myocutaneous cheek lift provides anterior lamella only. This is a one-stage one operation. I know we talk a lot about options for reconstructing the anterior lamella. So posterior lamella options can include palatal mucosal grafts, which are easy to grab, but can lead to keratinization and corneal abrasions. You can also use a free tarsoconjunctival graft from another spot. You can use nasal septal mucosa, buccal mucosa, or periosteal flap. One of the complications we often see in the lower eyelid after burn includes ectropion. So this requires a full thickness skin graft and release of the tissues very early after the burn. You can also see involutional ectropion. This is caused by lax skin. This is treated with canthoplasty and a wedge excision. And then finally, our miscellaneous Reconstruction fact for eyelid reconstruction is that a gold weight when placed in the upper eyelid should be placed just superficial to the levator aponeurosis and tarsal plate. And the inferior portion of the plate should be just a few millimeters above the lash line. 
It should be placed centered over the junction of the medial and central thirds of the eyelid and the medial lumbus. And that concludes eyelid reconstruction. That was fast. Yeah, let's do some fast facts to bring it home. So the upper compartment, compartments of the eyelid, I think of as the roof. So it's the top and it has two compartments, the medial and the central separated by the superior oblique tendon. The lower is the souf, which I don't have a good way to remember. Just remember that the upper is the roof and that is three compartments, the medial, the central and the lateral. The medial and the central separated by the inferior oblique tendon. And the second fact is that the inferior oblique tendon is the most common injury in a blepharoplasty. The buccal branches of the facial nerve innervate the inner canthal or orbicularis and interruption can profoundly affect blinking, eyelid closure, tone, and position of the lower lid and the tear pump mechanism. So I think of inner as intrinsic tone. So like the inner canthal orbicularis and the buccal branches are like the intrinsic tone of the eye. And then the zygomatic branches of the facial nerve innervate the extracanthal orbicularis oculi. And this permits squeezing of the eyelid animation and expression, protects the eye from debris and flying objects. So I think of extra as external stimuli to the extracanthal orbicularis oculi. And the primary closure of eyelid defects can be achieved for defects less than 30% or up to 40% in older patients who have significant laxity. And there you awesome. have it. Thanks, Dory. Eyelid Recon. Um, thanks for listening to Eyelid Recon. Find us online for episodes, outlines, resources, and then. <laughs> All right, guys, we'll see you next time. As a plastic surgeon with a unique vision for each patient, the more options you have at your fingertips, the better. Natrell is one of the portfolios available to you. To learn more, visit natrellsurgeon.com.